Hey everybody, so how amazing is this? I'm standing here on the main mezzanine of the future home of Southside Church, just off of Vetter Road in South Sumas, under construction. Now I mentioned under construction because we've turned our attention as a church over the last several weeks to this Old Testament book that's all about construction. It's the book of Nehemiah. It's rebuilding time. And so in week one of the series, we talked about the fact that if you want to be a rebuilder, you need to have empathy. So Nehemiah was living in Susa, 1,200 kilometers away from Jerusalem, but he saw that the walls of the city were down. He saw the people of the city and he said, man, those are my people and that's my city. So this is personal and I'm going to help. And it makes me think about you and me because we look around the world today and we see for so many people, their emotional walls are down and their spiritual walls are down. And we look in our neighborhoods and we, we look in our cities and we say, these are our people. So for us, it's personal and we're going to help. So number one, you need empathy. And in week two, we talked about the fact you also need courage. That Nehemiah had the courage to start. He wanted to do something even though he knew he couldn't fix everything. So he got permission from his boss, King Artaxerxes, to travel to Jerusalem and rebuild those walls. And then last week, we talked about the fact that not only do you need empathy, not only do you need courage, but you also need a team. There's something really extraordinary that happens in life. Like for each one of us individually, we have to make the decision on our own that we're going to step up and be a part of the solution. And as soon as we make that decision, we realize that even though we made the decision on our own, we can't, uh, we, we can't make the impact that we were meant to make on our own. So, so the way that I've said it a few times is that it's rebuilding time and together we're going to help because if we don't pull together, we'll be no help at all. So today we continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah, chapter four, starting at verse one. Listen to this. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was like Sanballat's right-hand man, who was at his side said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So this is like Old Testament trash talk. It's amazing. So Nehemiah responded, your face is broken down. You No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. But, but the people of Jerusalem, they, they prayed and they continued their work. Even after this Old Testament trash talk. It says this. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repair to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much trouble that we cannot rebuild the wall. So we kind of have this pivotal moment. The people of Jerusalem are exhausted. They're discouraged. They're demoralized and they're becoming intimidated by this constant opposition. And this is where a leader needs to step up, which is exactly what Nehemiah does. 
Therefore, Nehemiah says, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, this is one of the greatest speeches in history. It's short, but it's so powerful. Listen to this. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Incredible. Nehemiah talks about the how and he talks about the why. How are we going to do this? Well, we're going to remember our God who is great and awesome. And why are we going to do it? Nehemiah says, fight, fight for everything that you hold dear. Fight for your wife, fight for your husband, fight for your son, fight for your daughter, fight for your mom, fight for your dad. And it got me thinking about you and me. What's our how and what's our why? You know, just this week, I was listening to a speech on YouTube and this guy talked about the fact that the first time he ever went on an airplane, he went into the bathroom of the airplane. Well, here's a fun fact, by the way, now that I mentioned that, I've never actually used a bathroom in an airplane. Not once in my entire life. I, I just don't want to. I, I, don't know, I don't know what it is, actually. Um, maybe I'm scared that like the person who used it before me, there was turbulence or something like that. I don't want to go in there. I, I just thought you might want to know that. Now, now, I'm not saying I never will. I'm going to do my best not to ever use the bathroom in an airplane, but I never have. But anyways, this guy, the very first time he was on an airplane, you didn't really want me to tell you that, but I did. It's too late, okay? So, so he goes in and he sees the sign in the bathroom. And this is what it says. Leave this place better than you found it. That's it. That's our why. That's who we are. If, if, if you asked me to combine our how and our why in one statement, this is how I would say it. It was God's idea to put us here at this profound moment of human history because he loves us and he loves this world. So he strengthens us and he sends us to leave this place better than we found it. That's it. It, it, it was God's idea to put us here right in this profound moment of human history because he loves us and he loves this world. And so he strengthens us and he sends us to leave this world, to leave this place better than we found it. It's like the mission of Nehemiah. That's our how and that's our why. Really interesting though, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, what you'll find is that you'll find one verse, one verse dedicated to Nehemiah's passion. You'll find six verses are dedicated to Nehemiah's prayer. You'll find 11 verses dedicated to Nehemiah's preparation. And, and listen to this, listen to this. Starting with chapter four, verse one, you find three entire chapters focused on Nehemiah's opposition. I, I, want, I want you to hear this again, because I think it's important. If you want to write this down, if you want to push pause for a second and write this down, maybe you should. Listen, it's God's idea that you're here. It's God's idea that you're here right in this profound moment in human history because he loves you and he loves the world. So he strengthens you and he sends you to leave this place better than you found it. 
you, you understand that applies to every area of our life, right? So for me, it would apply to my marriage. I want Corinne to be better off because she was married to me than without me. It, it applies to my family. I want my kids to be better because of me. If you're an employer, it applies to you. That, that, that your employees would be better off because of you. If you're an employee, it applies to you that your employer would be better off because of you. It applies to my friends, man. I, I want my friends to be better because they knew me. It, it applies to the way that I look after this body. I want this body to be better off because of the things that I chose to eat and the exercises that I chose to do. It applies to the way that we treat the environment. I want this world, I want this planet to be better off because I was here. I want to leave it better than I found it. And it applies to us as a church. Listen, it was God's idea to place us here, right in this profound moment of human history because he loves us and he loves this world. And so he strengthens us and he sends us to leave this place better than we found it. But anytime you stand up, with a mission like this, you will face opposition. And I think it's kind of important in this world that we live in to kind of define opposition a little bit, right? Like opposition isn't everyone who disagrees with you. We live in a cancel culture today where everyone who disagrees with me, I automatically can label a hater. I'm not necessarily talking about that. Last week, I introduced the fact to you that we need to really try to have people in our lives that, that offer us unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support. See, unconditional love means this. They wish you well. Unwavering faith means they call out and celebrate your potential. And unshakable support means they're on your team that your mission is their mission. In other words, they too believe that it was God's idea to place them here right at this profound moment of human history. And he loves us. He loves this world. So he strengthens us and he sends us to leave this place better than we found it. And, and so if you have someone in your life that, 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 that has unconditional love, unwavering faith and unshakable support, and they disagree with one of your methods, not your mission, but they disagree with one of your methods, that doesn't mean that, they're, 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 that they are opposition. But anytime you stand for a mission such as this, you will face actual opposition. In other words, there will be people that you will run into that do not wish you well, they wish you ill. They're not looking to call out and celebrate your potential. They're looking to minimize and belittle it. And they're not on your team. That might seem hard to believe and discouraging to you, but just read through the book of Nehemiah. Let me paraphrase a quote by Aristotle. He said it this way. The only way to eliminate opposition, the only way to eliminate opposition is to do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. In other words, if we're going to leave this place better than we found it, we're going to have to decide how are we going to deal with opposition. And I really actually think there's only three alternatives. Number one, we run from it. Number two, we run to it. Number three, we run through it. We can run from it. We can run to it or we can run through it. So number one, we could run from it. <laughs> so let's, Imagine that that's the alternative that Nehemiah would have chosen. This is how the book of Nehemiah would have gone. Would have gone like this. 
So I got everyone together and we started building the wall. Then Sanballat and Tobiah showed up and made fun of us. So I went back to Susa, the end. You say, well, that's, that's not a really good book, Mike. I agree. You're right. Well, it's not a really good story. I agree. But here's the thing. It sounds a little bit like the story that you've been telling. It's, it sounds a little bit like the story that you've been telling with your life because there are so many of us who continually run from opposition. I'm not making fun of you. It can happen for a few different reasons. Number one, maybe there have been times in your life that you look back on where everything was always your fault. You were always wrong. You were always making mistakes. You were always getting into trouble. Man, I can relate. There's been so many times in my life where it was always my fault. I remember being in high school Man, every time I heard the PA system engage in high school, do you know what I mean? Like before anyone talks, there's this click and you know, someone's about to speak. And as soon as I would hear the PA engage, my heart would start to pound and my stomach would be a knot because I was sure that the next words on the PA would be, would be this. Mike Manis to the office, please. Mike Manis to the office. Well, maybe that's a little bit like you. Like you're always assuming you're in trouble. You're always assuming that you're wrong. And you've carried that pattern from those days into these days. And so when everybody, when anyone comes to you and says, I disagree, you assume that they're right and you're wrong. The second reason you might be running from opposition is because you're someone who you just want peace. You're a peacekeeper and you don't like it when people are angry. And so you're, you're not a weak person, but you can be bullied. Let me say that again. You're not a weak person, but you can be bullied because you don't want someone upset with you. And when someone comes at you to oppose you, you you move away because you just don't want the trouble. And the third third reason you might be running from opposition is because you're tired. Let's just imagine for a second. Let's imagine that it was like, I don't know, July 12, 2020. And let's say we've had quite a year. And let's say there's been so many twists and so many turns and so many obstacles and so many challenges and so many curveballs. You get to a point in your life sometimes where you're just so tired and you don't want to deal with it. But the problem with doing that, when when, when you set out and you understand that it was God's idea to put you here in this profound moment of human history, to strengthen you and to send you, to leave this place better than you found it, the problem with running from opposition is actually You're not wrong, they're wrong. You're not wrong, they're wrong. So can I talk to you about Sanballat? Because Sanballat is the most persistent opponent uh, in the book of Nehemiah. So let me tell you a little bit about something that maybe you didn't know about Sanballat. Sanballat is on track to become the next satrap of the province of Samaria. In in other words, to, to put it a different way, Uh, he's about to become king of Samaria under the authority of the Persian empire. Okay. And so for Sanballat and the Samarians, it was just kind of catchy actually, but for Sanballat and the Samarians, that's really catchy. Okay. But, but for them, okay. it, It was really good for them to deal with the Jerusalem with the walls down because they could walk through anytime they wanted. They could take whatever they wanted. They could steal whatever they wanted. They could intimidate whoever they wanted. They could manipulate whoever they wanted. And for Sanballat looking to become the next king in the province of Samaria, what, what, what a Jerusalem with no walls meant to him, what it meant was his authority and his influence and his power would, would not just be contained to the province of Samaria. It would include 
Jerusalem. You get what I'm saying? Because think about it. If it was just a joke to Sanballat, why the first thing we read about him is what? He's angry. What are you, <laughs> you're telling jokes, Sanballat. What are you angry about? And then it says he's incensed. What are you incensed about? Oh, no, no, it's not about Nehemiah, Nehemiah's wall. It's about Sanballat's greed. So I want to suggest to you that for some of the people that are opposing you in your life right now, you're not wrong. They're wrong. For some of them, it's just their greed. You threaten their greed somehow. For some of them, they're jealous, right? They've fallen into this weird lie called the scarcity lie, which just says God can only, God only has so much blessing. And if he blesses that person, he can't bless me. So they're jealous. They oppose you because they're jealous. Maybe they're just miserable people. And even without trying, they just have this gift of making other people miserable. Maybe they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe at one point in their life, somebody gossiped to them about you and they've decided on principle, even though they've never really gotten to know you, they've decided on principle that they just want to oppose you. See, you're not wrong, they're wrong. You know what else can actually happen? What can actually happen is you might have somebody who looks at you with unconditional love, unwavering faith and unshakable support, but they might have an issue that causes them to to, to well, maybe not oppose you, but to recommend against what you're trying to do. I'll give you one example. When I was thinking about becoming a pastor, my, my mom, who I love so much and who definitely gives me unconditional love, unwavering faith and unshakable support. I, amazing. Could never ask for a better mom than my mom. When I was thinking about becoming a pastor, um, she didn't come right out and say, don't do it. This is what she did. She asked me about 17 times. Are you sure? Are you sure? And the reason is, listen, and the reason is, is because she had seen a number of pastors get hurt real bad. You understand now? I love my mom and her intentions were great. But in that moment, whose issue was it? It wasn't really my issue. It was her issue. And so earlier I said, you need to have some people in your life that give you unconditional love, unwavering faith and unshakable support. And you need to have a small group who, who you run your mission by. Like for me, I have four main people in my life right now. Number one is my wife, Corinne. She's my best friend and one of the wisest people I know. And then I have the three overseers of this church, Mike Heppel, George Franco and Carson Pugh, incredibly gifted leaders, who love Jesus and love me. And, and, and so when I go to them, and by the way, I would suggest you have about three, four, probably no more than five, because if you have more than five people in your life like that, you can get to paralysis by analysis. It can be too much. But you, you have some people in your life you, you can run stuff by. And if you run it by them and you know that you're moving forward in your mission, when opposition comes your way, don't run from it. Because you're not wrong. You're not wrong. They're wrong. Okay, so number one, we can, fa we can deal with opposition by running from it, but we're not gonna do that because we're not wrong, they're wrong. The second thing we can do is we can run to it. We can run to it. So I wanna tell you how the book of Nehemiah would have gone if, uh, if Nehemiah had run to the opposition, okay? So Nehemiah says, I got a team together. We started rebuilding the wall. And then Sanballat and Tobiah showed up and started trash talking them. So I assembled my team together again. And I said, hey guys, new plan. Instead of building the wall, we're going to go slaughter Sanballat and the Sumerians. And so we did that. And I went home. The end. 
say, well, that's not much of a story. I know. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that I tell my kids, uh, road rage is stupid. Road rage is stupid. Because when you get involved in road rage, you might run into somebody a little bit like young adult Mike Mattis, which you don't want to. So I remember myself at about 19 years old. I'd be driving on my way to a class at Red Deer College. Let's say it was a Cold War history, okay? A- important class for me, right? Because I was a history major. So I needed to do well. So I'm driving on my way to my Cold War history class. Let's say we're talking that day about the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Kennedy, Khrushchev, a nuclear brinkmanship in Central America. So exciting. Man, that's exciting. But anyway, okay. So, 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 so I'm driving on my way and I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to learn. I got to grow. I got to raise my GPA. That's my mission. That's what I got to do. Okay, but let's say on my way there that a guy honks his horn at me and flips me the bird. So this is what 19-year-old Mike Mattis would have done in that moment. He would have said, new mission, new mission for the day. I will not go to class. What I will do instead is I will make this person's life a living nightmare for the foreseeable future, right? So, So instead of learning about nuclear brinkmanship in Central America, I will practice vehicular brinkmanship in Central Alberta, okay? So, so what I would do is I would follow the person around, try to get them to pull over so that I could beat them up, or I would try to run them off the road, or um, just basically follow them around and be annoying for as long as I could. Okay, so did I win? No, because I didn't get to class. I didn't learn and I didn't grow and I didn't raise my GPA. Well, did the person who flipped me the bird win? Oh, no, they definitely didn't win. So it was a lose-lose. You say, well, that's a pretty funny example, Mike. It's pretty weird. Yeah, I know. So why do you think so much about the, the things that people say about you? Why do you care so much? Why do you talk about it so much? Why do you relive it over and over and over again so much? Why do you let them rattle you so much? Because this is what I think happens to you. You got this mission in life, man. You want to leave this place better than you found it. I love it. Me too. And you're going along and next thing you know, something happens and now you're headed this way. But we're, but we're going that way. Like th- th- this is where we're headed. We can't, we can't turn left. Because a lose-lose doesn't equal a win. Do you understand? So there's really three ways you can deal with opposition. Number one, you can run from it but you shouldn't because you're not wrong, they're wrong. Number two, you can run to it, but you shouldn't because a lose-lose does not equal a win. Or number three, you can run through it. So how would the book of Nehemiah have played out if Nehemiah had run through the opposition? I'm glad you asked because he did. So I'll read it for you. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah. Now listen, who were building the wall, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. That's it. Run through it. Run through it. A sword in one hand and a trowel in another. I was thinking a lot about that this week, man. Like maybe you're, maybe you're fighting for your marriage. Well, you got a bouquet of flowers in one hand and a sword in the other. Maybe you're fighting for your family right? Well, that's awesome because you've got a calendar in one hand and a sword in the other, the calendar to make sure you prioritize your time. Man, maybe you're a basketball coach and you want to leave those players better than you found it. You've got a sword in one hand and a whistle in the other, right? Maybe you're a teacher and you want to make sure those students are better off because they met you. You've got a, a piece of chalk 
people, let's just say that you still have blackboards, like a piece of chalk in one hand and a sword in the other, because anything that you do worthwhile is going to bring opposition. You don't run from it. You don't run to it, but you do run through it. The main thing is still the main thing. We're still moving forward. We're going to be opposed, but we're going to still keep moving. I love the way Proverbs 24 verse 10 says it. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? The message says it this way. If you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. This mission, it's incredible. Like it was, <laughs> it was God's idea to put us here in this profound moment of human history because he loves us and he loves this world. And so he strengthens us and he sends us to leave this place better than we found it. And I'm telling you, because of that, we are going to face opposition. We're not going to run uh, from it. We're not going to run to it, but we're going to run through it. And I just want to stop there for a second. And I want to say how proud I am of this church. How absolutely proud I am of the way that we've handled these last six months. It's incredible. Like I know this was the first day that I probably ever gave you this phrase. But God placed us here. It was his idea to put us here in this profound moment of history. Because he, he loves us and he loves our world. And so he strengthens us and he sends us to leave this place better than we found it. And you know what I've watched us do over the last six months? Run through opposition over and over and over again. There's been so many obstacles and so many challenges and so many difficult times. And I've just watched this church. You know, one of the things that we've been saying is, if not us, who, if not now, when? And I love that. We're going to leave this place better than we found it. Can you believe it? He trusted us to be alive right now. It's incredible. And so what's our plan? Our plan is that we're going to continue to bring more help more hope and more home, more help. Because we know that we can't f- fix everything, but, but we can do something. We can do something. We can do something. When God brings something to our attention, we can do something about it. And that's what we've been doing. And that's why I've, I'm going to ask you again, if you haven't signed up for August 8th for this city, could you please do that? That's just a one day event where we're all going to try to come together. Whether you're in this city or in Sacramento or Houston or around the world, we want to team up with you. We want to be for your city too. But would you sign up? Our record for the most people ever involved is like 310. Let's blow that out of the water this year. We're going to get inventive. We're going to get imaginative. We're going to do some amazing things. We can't fix everything. But on August 8th, again, we're going to remind ourselves that we can always do something. More help. And and we keep bringing more hope. Because Jesus is the answer. Right? Hope has a name and and his name is Jesus. And he changes history. And, And the amazing thing is, is how does he do it? One life, one story at a time. Do you get it? If like, if, 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 if we want to leave this place better, here's, here's how it happens. He gets a hold of one person and he makes them better. And then they make others better. And that's how history changes. And that's the message of Jesus. That's what he does. That's the gospel. He changes our past. He changes our present. He changes our future. He changes our eternity. So we keep preaching the gospel. 
And that's why I want to ask you even today, can you consider sharing this message, inviting people to, to be a part of the next service? Because we all face opposition and we all need to learn it. That we don't run from it, we don't run to it, but we run through opposition if we really want to make a difference. But we just want to bring more help and more hope. And finally, we want to bring more home. What does that look like? I think it looks like a place, like a church, like a people who offer unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support to a world that desperately needs it. Unconditional love from God and his people, unwavering faith from God and his people, and unshakable support from God and his people. And that's what we've been doing. I had someone ask me the other day, man, isn't it weird timing that we're just, we're building a facility right in the middle of COVID? Like, what are we gonna do? That's a great question. So I've been thinking about it a little bit. We're right in the middle of COVID. What should we do? What should we do? I got it, it just hit me. This is what we should do. Let, let's, let's build a building. Now this is a great idea, you're gonna love it. Let's build a building. Um, and as we build the building, let's make sure that it's a place of unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support. Let's do that. Says, yeah, but there's lockdowns and everything's unpredictable. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's really true. So what should we do? I got it. Here's what we should do. Despite the lockdowns and the uncertainty, here's what we should do. Let's build a building and, and let's anoint it to be a place of unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support for every single person who ever walks through the doors ever. And for every single person who, who, whoever uh, watches a broadcast out of this brand new broadcast facility ever. Let's do that. Let's do that. We've been running through opposition. I was going to say, I'm so, I'm so surprised. I'm not, but I am impressed. I'm impressed outside. I'm impressed for everyone who's been serving. Thank you. I'm not surprised, but I'm impressed. For everybody who's been praying, thank you. I'm not really surprised that you have been, but I'm impressed. For everyone who's been giving, and I'm not really surprised, but I'm so impressed. And for everybody who's been inviting and just a part of this journey, whether you just started attending Southside uh, online or whether you've been coming for years, I'm not surprised, but I am impressed. I am impressed. So here's what I think. I think I know what our why and our how is. We always remember that it was God's idea to put us here, right in this profound moment of human history, because he loves us and he loves our world. And so he strengthens us and he sends us to leave this place, to leave this world, to leave history better than we found it. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your amazing why and your amazing how, knowing that you are with us every single step of the way, today, tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus, I know even as I pray that there's some people here who, who are joining us today and they're thinking, man, I, I, I need to be better. I need to be changed. And I, and I wanna say to you right now, just for a second, man, if, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, this would be a great day to do it. If you want your marriage to be better, the, the first way is to allow Jesus to make you better from the inside out. If you want your family to be better, the best way to do that is to allow Jesus to make you better from the inside out. He came for you. He died for you. He rose again for you to change you, 
to save you. So if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I wanna ask you to do that right now. So just pray along with me. Jesus, forgive my sins. Thank you for a clean slate. Give me the strength. Give me the strength to live the life that you've created me to live. You place me here in this moment. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm thankful that you are with me today, tomorrow, and forever. God, I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, by the way, if you just invited Jesus into your life, I'm so stoked. I'm stoked anyways today. I'm in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I am having so much fun today, but I'm so stoked that you chose to make Jesus a part of your life. So can you do me a favor? Can you please text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604 670 3040. We don't want to stalk you, but you better believe we want to support you. We want to help you uh, journey on this mission to leave this place better than we found it, to, to live the life, to live the mission that we were created to live. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for joining me from, uh, from South Sumas and Vetter Road. I love you and we'll see you next week.